Welcome to the Every Brain Matters podcast called It's Just Pot, What's the Problem? My name is Aubrey Adams, and I'm a former Colorado mom and a mom for young people in recovery. Thanks for joining us. Today, we speak to Gabriel Mondragon, a young man who lived most of his life homeless and addicted to drugs. Listen as he describes how a psychotic break that resulted in the loss of his left hand and sections of both his feet led him down a path to realize marijuana was the cause of that psychotic break. Today, we hear from Gabriel Mondragon. Gabe currently lives in New Mexico, but listen how he describes his life being homeless and addicted to drugs. It got straight A's. We're in this little tiny town called Bernalillo out here in New Mexico. And um, my mom promised me a Wolverine toy with retractable claws. This was like 1992, so that was a big deal for me because I love comic books. So I got straight A's, no problem. I was in the chess club, the science club, you know, getting like trophies for competing and stuff like that. And the school, they took notice of me and they had a meeting with my parents and myself. My parents were already divorced. They told my parents that I was gifted and eligible for grants in a private school with my testers. And uh, my dad and mom had a meeting after that. They knew if they didn't get me out of my mom's house, where my brother was, my brother was a gang member. At that time, he was already arrested at 12 years old. He was incarcerated for breaking and entering in kitty jail. (laughs) They knew if they didn't get me out of my mom's house and away from my brother, I'd have no chance, no future, you know, no chance of private school and things like that. So my dad got, had got his degree in philosophy. So there was no job market for philosophers. He could hardly feed and house himself, let alone his son. So just like that, they threw my future away. (laughs) And uh, my brother, he got out that summer and he pushed marijuana on me. And that activated and exacerbated schizophrenia. So that led to me, instead of becoming like a doctor or something, I ended up getting bad grades after that. There was no more straight A's, no more chess club, no more science club. I did what a lot of uh, people do, a lot of teenagers and adolescents do when they start smoking marijuana. I eventually dropped out of school, fell off the grid, became homeless. And uh, yeah, so I ended up hitchhiking all over the country, just sleeping out of, living out of a backpack, sleeping on bushes and on the side of the road and things like that. I hitchhiked down to Mazatlan, Mexico and lived there for like a month or two. And eventually I made it up to Seattle. And that's when I was uh, 26 was when I I electrocuted myself for whales and trees to punish the rich white people for the death of the rainforest and killer whales or something like that. It was mental illness. It was marijuana activating schizophrenia. I uh, was smoking a lot of high grade. It was very high potency marijuana, not the stuff they had in the 70s or the 40s. And so that led to uh, three amputations. My hand, uh, half my right foot and a 
pinky toe and a tenon off my left foot. Third degree burns over 40% of my body. Uh, brain injury. I used to have trouble forming complete words and sentences. And this was in Orcas Island, which is the San Juans, which is just near the Canadian border. And um, nobody, like the culture out there, very white, very liberal, very huge marijuana culture. They, uh, they wouldn't let me get help from the government. They purposely were against that sort of thing. I don't know why America is so bad about mental health, but they thought that the weed would make things better when the truth is the weed was the cause, <laughs> not the cure. And they, uh, so I never got any neuro rehabilitation or help with my mental health. I ended up getting, they charged me as a terrorist. The FBI originally was going to say like, you know, this is an environmental activism, eco-terrorism, but because I was the only victim of my crime, they dropped the charges down to, uh, uh, destruction of government property or something so it was a misdemeanor but because i couldn't get help and all that stuff my life was a very difficult uh, i don't understand why there was a obstruction between me and health i don't get why these marijuana growers and and people like you know that i thought were my friends these are people who manipulated me from a position of trust like i trusted them when they were the architects of my destruction. these I used to grow marijuana and sell it with them. So we had this camaraderie. And uh, later on, when I found out that marijuana was the cause of my schizophrenia, that's when I distanced myself from these people. And that's why right now, like I'm in university, I'm getting good grades and things like that, you know, because like I was an atheist for 18 years. So I applied the scientific method, you know, and done with third party verification. So if you remove the marijuana from someone's life, and they're still homeless and schizophrenic, then it wasn't the marijuana. But when the marijuana was removed from my life, I was no longer homeless. My schizophrenia went down significantly. I still experience a, a lot of secondhand smoke exposure, and that sets me off. That causes hallucinations, suicidal, homicidal thoughts. So I actually even had like a gas mask that I used to wear because I, I like people. I I lived on a sailboat for a long time, and I really missed humanity and human contact. And then like one week back in Albuquerque, I was like, Oof, I want to get back to the sailboat. <laughs> everybody's smoking. Everybody's on drugs and alcohol and everything else. It's, it's really crazy how saturated society is. Like, I was uh, looking at a haven that I would escape to. My Mecca is what my pastor calls it. My Shangri-La. And this uh, fantasy place, there's no drugs. No one does marijuana. I don't have to worry about walking outside my house. And breathing in someone's marijuana smoke and going into, you know, like an episode that could last three days or five days even where I need medication to control myself before I end up with amputations or legal consequences again. Next, Gabriel shares how he stopped taking all drugs except marijuana by 2003. So I ended up in San Francisco and I protested the war on uh, February 28th and March 15th of 2003. Protested the war in Iraq, fought with police, all that stuff, you know, got arrested, slammed the ground with knees on my back and my neck, the whole nine. And I ended up hitchhiking up to Humboldt County, where there was really strong, high-grade marijuana. And I ended up a tree sitting, which was living in an old-growth redwood to save it from being cut down. So I actually lived like 200 feet off the ground. And um, 
like I had to poop in a bucket and stuff like that. I didn't really have running water, but they would bring me like drinking water and stuff. I had ground support. And, uh, that was, uh, I got really good at climbing and not high functioning schizophrenic, even when I'm homeless and, you know, on marijuana and stuff, I was still higher functioning than other people in the same situation. But that's where I got off the methamphetamine. That That's the last hard drug I was doing. I did some cocaine when I was in Mexico because it was, you know, that's cocaine comes from South America. So I figured this would be better quality than what's in America. I, I haven't done cocaine since then. And that was in like 2002. Yeah. So, um, so I had this theory that I would only do organic drugs. And only synthetic drugs were bad. Only man-made drugs were bad. In 2008, Gabriel had a psychotic break induced by marijuana. Please listen. Oh, 2008. March 15th, 2008. Never forget that date. And then (laughs) that was something in itself. I, uh, so Orcas Island had a main transformer. I figured out where it was. I was working construction at the time. I was homeless. And uh, I took a cherry picking ladder, like a little, you know, ladder to climb the fence and a tree trimming pole saw, aluminum handle pole saw that extends up, you know, like 20 feet to cut branches. And I really was not in my right mind. I did have like latex gloves (laughs) and a pair of leather gloves on top of that. But I was an electrician's apprentice for six months. I should have known that there's no way that would have insulated me with an aluminum pole against 70,000 volts and I intentionally took that pole saw to the power line and then it there was a, electricity went through me you know you know I just went poof and um I saw my own body from outside of it and a voice inside me said it's not that hard to exhale and I, I went Bleh. and when I exhaled I was back in my body and all this thick black smoke came out of my mouth and I fell down and I remember laying there staring at the scars for a really long time. And then my heart came back on and started beating again really fast. And uh, I stood up and I made it about seven steps and that was it. And I fell down. I couldn't make it anymore. And a truck pulled up. Someone on Orcas Island wanted to see why the power had gotten knocked out. And, uh, you know, the guy's like screaming something at me. I'm scared. I can't remember what I told him. But he's like, you know, what am I going to do? I was like, help, you got to get help. And he's like, what am I going to do? Shut the power off. I'm like, (laughs) and he's like, I want to get the sheriff. And I'm like, ah, don't leave. But he went, he got the sheriff. And uh, while I was waiting there, I'd gotten over to the fence and my hand was, you know, fried. The fingers, like the tendons were black and everything. And uh, these girls showed up. And for some reason, beautiful women, they just made it easier. And they kept staring at my butt. I'm like, why are you looking at my butt? And I look back, there was a little fire going on, a little flame in my butt crack. (laughs) Gabriel, what happened after the psychotic break? Did you have any support or treatment? No, it's really easy to fall through the cracks of society. (laughs) Our uh, medical professionals for people that are below the poverty line, like I was, you know, homeless people, stuff like that. It's terrible. There's no... (laughs) there's no compassion for it like how many people do you know i know dozens of people right off the top of my head who are homeless because of their drugs because whether it's alcohol marijuana you name it and when they quit doing those drugs they would just improve their 
but they can't quit the drugs <laughs> and no medical professional goes out to these people in these parks, you know, and on the streets and stuff like that and says, Hey, you really need to quit. <laughs> yeah. And most of them aren't going to hear them anyways, but I just thought maybe after you're, you know, you had electrocuted yourself that there was somebody who just said, Hey, you gotta. No, I got rubber stamped in the hospital. I was in a Harborview in Seattle and without any sort of interview or assessment, they uh, put me down as bipolar type two without actually like questioning or anything and then released me into FBI custody. <laughs> the FBI placed me on probation for two years. And uh, that was what got me off marijuana the first time. But everyone in my circle was always smoking it around me and trying to hand it to me and give it to me. So uh, the, my biggest enemy was people that were my friends and people I trusted, you know, like my support network was the cause of my detriment. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So during that whole time, these very people that I consider to be my support network, not a single one of them bothered to get me into any sort of, you know, psychiatrist office or anything like that. I eventually did make it to a counselor. Now, a counselor is not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. This is low-grade, you know, state-provided mental health care. It's, it's low-budget. They're not really aggressively vested in the mental health of their patients. <laughs> and so all this guy did, without even looking up from his computer, was he said, oh, you're fine. You should get a job. <laughs> like, okay. I took his advice. I ended up getting a job moving cars for Seattle. Uh, Federal Way was the place. It was for Ford. The Ford company manufactures cars and brings them on trains. And we drive them from one parking lot to another parking lot, three, lo three lots away, where semi-trucks come and pick them up and take them to dealerships. I wrecked five cars in a week and was fired by my second paycheck. I don't think that was a schizophrenia. I think that was a brain injury. So I was having these little blackouts. <laughs> I got to be behind the wheel. And then I'd be on the sidewalk with the tire exploded. <laughs> wow. No, no recollection of in between, you know, <laughs> the road and the accident. So and the counselor didn't care about any of that. They didn't get me on medication. They didn't get me in any programs. They didn't say anything. It was, oh, you're fine. Get a job. <laughs> just, get a, just, get, just get a job. Let's not even treat the illness that you have right now. Yeah. No, I'm the only one. I ended up going uh, through the courts and filing a personal representative request form to bypass HIPAA laws and gain access to my dead grandmother's medical records. Because I recall speaking to my mother about it before. We, we no longer communicate, but when we used to, about 2014, um, she, I told her I wanted to check myself into the uh, mental asylum. I'm like, there's clearly something wrong with me. I'm having these hallucinations of voices in my head. I've been saying this for years and Everyone was like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. Just shut up. <laughs> and I, uh, so yeah, I ended up going, and she, when I told her that I was going to go to the asylum, she started crying saying, no, don't do it. They're going to hold you down on a cold, still table and forcibly inject needles in your veins. And I looked at her, you know, thinking, well, I would just take my medication voluntarily. <laughs> it isn't a guarantee. I have access to the Internet. I get to watch a lot of documentaries about mental institutions and what's effective and what's not. 
And, uh, but then I realized that that happened to her mother. That's why she had such a tearful, emotional reaction involuntarily. She gave it away without knowing that I knew. So when I went and gained access to my deceased grandmother's medical records, um, they had, they had destroyed all the records after 10 years. So her records were destroyed in 1985, but they still had her identification card on file. Uh, she was in the mental institution out here twice, once in 1962, the second time in 1974. The first stay was voluntary. The second stay was emergency order. And uh, both times she was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic. And to me, that was huge. I'm like, this validates my schizophrenia that I've been saying on Facebook, in real life, there's clearly something wrong with me. I need help in my family people I thought were my friends, they would all say, no, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And I would say, really? You're telling the guy that electrocuted himself and self-inflicted three amputations for whales and trees that there's nothing wrong with me, huh? And they're like, oh yeah, that was just stupidity. That's all. And so I, I posted this proof that I got. I'm like, well, this is proof of family history of schizophrenia. Family history of mental illness means hereditary factors like gene mutation that's been associated with schizophrenia. So then I would post the CDC thing, right? Like marijuana activates schizophrenia. So this plus that equals proof that the marijuana caused my schizophrenia. <laughs> and they're all quiet. Nobody started saying anything about that. My mom ended up just not speaking to me anymore. They, they cut me off, you know, my family, <laughs> because I found out they had lied to me this whole time. I think that early diagnosis and treatment would have been great. I could still have my left hand and parts of my feet, <laughs> among other things, you know, like I could have never electrocuted myself had I been diagnosed and treated. And the fact that my mom and my family knew, my mom's side knew that my grandma was schizophrenic and they chose to say nothing when I had gone homeless and on drugs, which in my opinion is a sign of mental illness whether it's hereditary or not, the drugs cause mental illness. Um, but when I electrocuted myself, after that, none of them still bothered to mention, oh, hey, your grandma's also crazy, by the way. No, they, they kept that family secret from me. And that had very destructive impact on my life. The same with my brother pushing marijuana on me. And none of them want to hold accountability for that. I, I have this fantasy in my head where I get to find my old friends that used to push the marijuana on me and look them in the face and say, Hey, your marijuana is what caused me to electrocute myself. They all run from that accountability, like vampires in sunlight. <laughs> Next, Gabriel describes how being exposed to secondhand marijuana smoke can trigger psychosis for him. I think a lot of people intentionally don't want to understand it. They don't want to accept that marijuana can be bad for some people. Like when I was here in Albuquerque, I went to Wells Fargo and someone asked me something and I told them very specifically, I'm like, oh, I'm having a, a kind of a bad day because I, someone's secondhand marijuana was setting off my schizophrenia earlier. And immediately the security guard and three of the people behind me were like, <laughs> like, it helps me. It helps me with my, uh, you know, attention deficit disorder. No, it's a scam. I Like, I've moved every two or three months because everywhere I move, I'll have this weird grace period where there's no marijuana around me for like a month or two. And then some, like, it always manages to find me. And the last place I was at, I was living at this Taekwondo studio. 
So I got to do Taekwondo three days a week. That was very great exercise. I actually lost weight down to 196. Uh, lowest weight I've been in, you know, a couple decades. I was really proud of that. And then this guy moved in who had a medical marijuana card. And I could tell he was scamming. I, I could tell that he just faked some condition. And the doctors were like, oh, yeah, here you go. And I talked to him about that. I'm like, you know, if you really wanted medicinal marijuana, you would just do edibles. Why can't you do edibles? The smoke you're creating is causing me pain and suffering. And he wouldn't care about any of that. And then he kept doing it. And I finally told him, I'm like, you know, this is uh, making me have homicidal fantasies about killing you. <laughs> and that actually stopped him. For like a month, he went across the street in his car. That's what I mean by the death penalty. I wasn't really going to kill him. I obviously didn't. But just the uh, the concept in his head of consequence, he made him afraid. It actually modified his behavior temporarily. But those changes in behavior with marijuana users especially are not permanent without reinforcement. No marijuana user that I've ever met will self-regulate their own behavior out of consideration for others. If, you, if every marijuana user that I tell, hey, your smoke hurts me, they say, tough luck, you know, nuts to you, who cares, screw you, suffer, I don't care, F you, I'm gonna smoke and do what I want. So that's what this guy was doing. And after a month, he started smoking it again back on the property, and I just ended up moving out. I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm afraid of prison, I don't know. My fear of prison is still there. Gabriel, how do you know marijuana triggered your psychotic break? <laughs> so, the methamphetamine, if taken by a schizophrenic, won't activate the schizophrenia, it'll amplify it. No, the THC, the chemical, is what activates the gene mutation. You have to study epigenetics to really comprehend that concept. And Anytime someone says that to me, like, oh, is the other drugs, I know their motivations are not altruistic right yeah. like that removing the marijuana that marijuana was a big cause of my dysfunction and removing it has increased my functioning and this is uh, objectively true by my results like my good grades i got mostly a's and b pluses we thank gabe for sharing his story his experience strength and hope and we hope that you have a fuller understanding of how marijuana affects the brain and causes psychosis. Gabe has survived his psychosis and is thriving today. He deserves to live in a community where he's not exposed to secondhand marijuana smoke. We ask you to like and share our podcast and give us a good review as we increase our voices on the harms of marijuana. Thank you for listening to the Every Brain Matters podcast. It's just pot. What's the problem? We hope you understand the problem more.